1: Hello, I'm Josh Halliman. You are listening to Just Films and That. This is the podcast where we celebrate films we think are underrated or underseen. This week, it's fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Alice picked this one, so let's see what we think. Alice.
2: Yes, Josh.
1: We're going to talk about fear.
2: hmm
1: We're going to talk about loathing.
2: We are. My two favourite topics.
1: <laughs> we're going to talk about Las Vegas. Where's that rank in the...
2: Oh, that's pretty high. That's pretty yeah, high top out
1: there three. too. Yeah, top three. Top three. Yes, we're talking about Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas from 1998. So, spoiler warnings if you've not seen it. It's going to be an interesting one, I think, this one. Let's get stuck into it. So, Alice, Ooh. first of all, if you can, <laughs> if tell can. everyone at home, what is it about? And then follow it up with, why did you pick it? Is it underseen? Is it underrated? Go. So, Fear and
2: Loathing in Las Vegas is a black comedy adventure adapted from Hunter S. Thompson's novel of the same name. So it follows the story of journalist Raoul Duke, played by Johnny Depp, and Dr. Gonzo, played by Benicio Del Toro, as they travel to and around Las Vegas for what is meant to be a work assignment, but they end up just doing so many drugs and going on some seriously wild trips. That is essentially it. Um, the reason that I picked it was uh, similar to many of the films uh, that we end up picking, you know, just start thinking about it one day. Thought, Oh, I'll have a little look at the critical reception. Saw what the critics gave it on Rotten Tomatoes and thought, hang about, that feels a bit off for me because I remembered when I saw this, I remember really liking it. I think I've seen it maybe two or three times, like not loads, but I remember enjoying it every time I saw it. I've also read the book, uh, which I also enjoyed. Um, so I just thought, I thought it was, un- I feel like it's underrated. I feel like okay. it's underrated.
1: Underrated then? Yes, underrated. indeed.
2: I feel like as well, so, so some of the criticism that I saw around it said things like it's aimless, repetitive, and devoid of character development. And while some of that may be true, as we'll get into, mm. I don't think that makes it a bad film. Um, it was also a financial failure, making $10.6 million at the box office, where its budget was eighteen. million. Point five million, So it didn't quite make its budget back, but it has become a little bit of a cult classic. Mm. Um, so what about you, Josh? You said... You said you think this is going to be an interesting one, so I'm interested to know why you think it's going to be an interesting one. So, well, first
1: off, I, so I hadn't seen this. No, I didn't, right.
2: I didn't think you had. You it had, had been feeling. on
1: my list of films, as in not for the podcast, Ooh, just the no. films I wanted to watch my, 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 my to watch list, if you like, for a little mm. while. I had never got around to actually picking it. Well, you're it was welcome.
2: This, there thank you. you go. It was the I, sort of film where... You this gift.
1: It's the sort of film where it's like, when am I ever going to be in the mood to pick this? I suppose. You just Fancy
2: it, just fancy yeah. it. Yeah. So
1: anyway, so I hadn't seen it before, so I was I was really glad you picked it to be honest, because it was awesome. one I okay. wanted to watch. Interesting. And I knew it was a cult classic. I did I did know that. Mm-hmm. It's obviously been referenced in plenty of stuff over the years. Um, I was quite trepidatious to watch this. I was quite nervous oh, big because
2: words, Josh. Big
1: words. because because I find Terry Gilliam who directed it, a bit hit and miss. Uh-huh. Obviously, he's most famous for probably being in Monty Python, and he directed mm-hmm. some of those films, and I do like those. So I really like 12 Monkeys. I really like Time Bandits. But then, for example, his probably most successful film is Brazil. And yes. I find that really tough watch. Like, I think uh-huh. it's quite o- overrated. Um, so I was going into it like, what am I going to get here? Um, and it's really difficult to sort of sum this one up for me. So uh-huh. I'm, I'm going to come to you first. Okay. I think you might have quite a bit to say about this and I'm going to gauge That's what you say lot, first. Really, yeah. I'm going to gauge what you say first especially because it's based on a book. So it's mm-hmm. based on the Hunter S. Thompson book and a, a lot of what I want to say I'll come into it is to do with that representation of the book. But I want to okay. see what you say first. So having rewatched it for the podcast did it hold up? What did you like about it?
2: Uh, yeah it, it it did hold up really. I think there is a lot to like in there. Mm. I can certainly see the flaws with it and like I said I can see I can see the points that the critics were making, but I do not agree that they made it a bad film or that they devalued the film in any way. So if we're going to start from the top, as I like to do sometimes, I think it has one of my favourite or one of the best opening lines of any film ever, which is, I believe we were somewhere around Barstow on the edge of the desert when the drugs began to take hold. And I was just like, (laughs) if you don't know what this film is going to be about, you know now. And I feel like it just sums up everything so brilliantly and so perfectly. So we start with a bang. Um, I quite like the aimlessness of it, right? That the Mm. critics don't like, because it feels true to the experience of people using that many drugs. Like it's, So many drugs, more drugs than I ever thought someone could consume without dying, right? And the only (laughs) aim for those characters, it seems, is to do more drugs. So it's excessive, it's hedonistic, it's decadent, it's intense, and a mix of some truly brilliant performances, in my opinion, from our two leading men, and the camera work drags you along with them, right? There's one moment where Duke takes adrenochrome, and he starts falling into his adrenochrome hole, and I... Felt it, right? The lighting, the acting, the camera techniques, it really does pull you along for the ride with them. The camera is almost always at a crooked angle, and it really overdoes the close ups, which makes the whole thing feel so intense. And in some ways it reminded me a little bit of natural born killers, and the critics (laughs) didn't like that either. It's my first Um, note.
1: My first note is it's like natural born killers in the way that it feels.
2: Uh-huh. So what do you think of what do you think of those things I just said? Josh, do you agree? Yeah, so, so I
1: definitely agree with the way it's shot and the way mm-hmm. it's made. I think it, it feels frantic and manic and yep. The whole point is they're on this hedonistic weekend or a mm-hmm. couple of days, whatever it is, just doing drugs and drinking. Right, and that drug fueled mania definitely comes across in the way that it's shot, the way that oh, it's yeah. edited. I do think the two leads in it are really, really good. Oh, like, so I think good. Johnny Depp particularly is is really, really good in this. Oh, um, his,
2: phys- his physicality, his facial, and his expressions, voice, the um, way he uses his hands, like everything. I feel like because he he spent a lot of time studying uh, Hunter S. Thompson yeah, yeah. to to sort of get into the role and. I just think he's brilliant. I think he's phenomenal. I think it's a real career highlight from him, to be mm. honest, in, in my humble opinion. Johnny. No, no, he is
1: He is. excellent in this. And it's not that mm. like, you know, like I, when we did Ed Wood, that's one of my favourite performances mm. of his. And they are very different films.
2: Indeed. But
1: that sort of grotesque, cartoony performance, you know, Johnny mm. Depp does really, really well. Except, uh, you know, as he's gotten older, he's become more known for like, heavy makeup roles or you know mm-hmm. pirates of the caribbean alice and wonderland that sort of thing but in this he is in heavy makeup but it's quite interesting that he's still doing those big grotesque cartoony performances but he is really good in it especially mm-hmm. considering in both those films he plays a real person
2: uh-huh yeah interesting which, which, oh, which interesting is, which
1: is the, yeah which which i think is really interesting so yes it's a really good representation of that drug fueled mania that that they're mm-hmm. obviously going on. I don't know. I'm very very square. I've never done a, a illegal drug in my life, but <laughs> but I do. You know, I I completely get what the book, what the film is going for. I haven't read the book, but i mm-hmm. i I read I've read around Gonzo journalism, and I know the whole idea of this, this this stream of consciousness writing where it's just manic and it just comes, you know, spewing out of you as as you do it, and and it definitely comes across. So yeah. It's certainly like an experience in the way that it's shot. It's like it's like being drunk, or it's like being on drugs, or how being on drugs is supposed to be. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. so yeah, from that sense, really, really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it.
2: Technically, really, really impressive. And I don't think anyone can could count could argue that. Like you can see it on the screen, right? Um, So obviously the film is heavily narrated by Duke and the narration interacts with the action on screen and we sometimes slip from this non-diegetic narration to diegetic narration and this is where a lot of the comedy comes from, I feel. Mm. Um, For me, it's possibly the best example I've seen of narration and it feels really natural. So Depp manages to convince you that he isn't reading a script. That when we think back to things like The Beach or Legend, the narration felt so scripted and the actors sound like they're reading, right? But you don't feel that in this, I don't think, anyway. And sometimes his voice acts as a bridge between the past and the present because we get a few flashbacks when he's telling us sort of how they got to where they are now and, you know, where they went, rented their car from and so on. Um, and I just thought they used it really, really well and it was executed brilliantly.
1: Yeah, definitely agree with that. I think the, the whole thing with narration is it's, it's got to feel like it wasn't put on at the end. Like a lot of yes. narration, like like Legend, for example, mm. or what was the other example you gave, sorry? The
2: beach, the beach. you know, at the it's beginning like, when he's it's, doing his dialogue. Yeah, it,
1: it's like they get to the end and someone's gone.
2: Oh, this doesn't make sense. Doesn't make yeah. any
1: sense, put some narration yeah. over it. Mm. and And that's when you go, it's like someone's going, I'm going to hold your hand. And take you through the film because you're an idiot and you don't understand what's yeah. yeah. Whereas this, it's obviously based on the book, which is sort of like a stream of articles and diaries and like it's a stream Mm. of consciousness journalism, isn't it? So Mm. that's what it feels like. It feels like they've taken the book and just gone. The script is the book, basically. So when he is talking to us, when he's talking to us as, as Duke. It feels like you say. I think that the word is authentic, isn't it? It feels like an authentic. Yeah. Someone is talking you through as you go, rather than a a handhold of through the film.
2: Yeah, and it, it's you. You do need it a lot of the time as well because the internal narration, like his internal voice, is more rational than yeah. his external voice. And I mean, sometimes he's not even speaking at all because he's so unbelievably wasted on fucking. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, adrenochrome and it's not, even, ether. not even real, <laughs> all, all these mescaline, like all these yeah. things that you know, I, I, don't, I don't even know about, mind you know bending, I mean?
1: like proper, like heavy doses of LSD and stuff, Next isn't it? And, level cocaine, um, weed, IOP, drinking. or whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, it
2: just does the, the
1: narration around me a little bit of something like American Psycho,
2: okay. Yeah. So, I because
1: like because that's like a diary, isn't it? It's like takes you mm. through his day and takes you through his thoughts and i suppose it's more of an internal monologue than a narration and yeah, i think this I is think, definitely the way to do it
2: yeah and i think when the character that when when the character is presenting themselves a certain way in that world but that isn't the, their true selves you need that like you say in american psycho like outwardly he's trying to be you know a bit kind of normal and functioning mm. and stuff so then when we go into his mind it's a completely different picture yes yeah um, and i feel like that was the same here yeah
1: Absolutely. So did you, So, one thing I did notice about it was this, they did dark comedy really well. So did mm-hmm. you still find bits of it funny? Because I hadn't seen it before. So obviously I was coming at it fresh. Do you still find bits of it funny? It's quite absurd, isn't Certainly, it?
2: Certainly, yeah. But it's, I mean, it's not laugh out loud. No, no. But no. it's like, it's like when, when we'd be sort of in in Duke's head, but then he'd accidentally say something out loud and then he's like, oh, did they hear me? Did I say that out loud? Yeah, it's, that really, sort of it's
1: really dark, isn't it? I think what it, what it does really well is it, it, it does a thing that a lot of dark comedies do, which is you create these grotesque characters mm. and the comedy comes when those people come into contact with normal people. Because mm-hmm. So if you look at, like I know we've, we've harped on about it before, but if, for example, if you look at It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, yeah. the whole thing with that is those people are grotesque and horrible and narcissistic. The, the comedy comes when they go outside and meet normal people, and the normal people are like, mm-hmm. "What the fuck?" Like, yep. And that is that' was the only comparison I can think of, but that is how you do dark comedy, I think really well, really well. Also like, you know, like curb your enthusiasm or there's other really, really dark comedies, Peep show, like where, like mm-hmm. those sorts of yeah. things where the characters are like, they are not normal. the way they are is not normal, but, but you accept yeah. it as a normality until mm. they meet normal. And then it's like, oh god, actually no, they're not normal. Oh my god, am I normal because I've aligned myself with these characters, sort of thing. <laughs> so like, there's bits, isn't there, where like he's covering a, he's covering like a rally, isn't he, like a mm-hmm. like a cross desert the rally, race, and yeah. he's just got a beer and he's just trying to stop the beer from spilling.
2: Yeah, it's got, that, well, it's got sand uh, as well. Yeah, so and all, that. and it's very, very grotesque. Sand.
1: Or there's the bit like yeah. where, um, you know, where. where uh, uh, Dr. Gonzo sort of suggests that he wants to kill himself. Put, you know, throw this into the bath when this song peaks and I'll die. Mm-hmm. And he just throws a grapefruit at his head. And it's just a really weird, grotesque moment. But by doing those things, it brings you back down to worth and realigns you with your your own self and what you, what is acceptable. And that that's why I think it works as a dark comedy. And I think it's easy to forget in places that it is a dark comedy because I suppose mm. it's kind of based on exaggerated real events, isn't it?
2: Mm-hmm. Really like the soundtrack, so obviously there's lots of Tom Jones, so yeah. I'm always going to like that. Um, Jefferson Jefferson Airplane Airplane as well, yeah, as well. yeah, yeah, I know yeah. Like, um, all the all the classics, you know, all the all the sort of drug taking songs yeah. that you associate with the 70s and stuff. Uh, so that was good, and there was a good soundtrack running throughout. I thought, um, and just a bit more about the way it looks. So obviously I've already touched on how impressed I am with the camera work but you've also got like this brilliant, arid, dusty desert landscape with the bright and manic goings-on of Vegas sort mm. of alongside it. Um, the costumes and the props are also really impressive. So not just when we're in the trips with Duke, but also his own get-up. And I read that a lot of the props and the costume actually belong to Hunter S. Thompson, which, again, it's interesting to have that sort of authenticity in what could almost be described as a fantasy film, like so much of what you're seeing. Is a hallucination?
1: Yes, yeah. Like you say, it, it. It. I didn't. I don't know loads about Huntress Thompson, but I know bits and bobs from from reading about it over the years. And there is, it does seem to capture him really well. And that is, like you say, down to the fact that they were actually friends. I don't know if they were friends before this, but I know they became friends.
2: Mm, um, he he, because there was a there was a, a lot of issues kind of in the run up to filming where they'd um they'd hired you know two actors to play the roles but then they pulled out and then they'd hired someone else i think maybe like john belushi or someone to be one of them and then he passed away so there was all this going on and it sort of never quite took off and then when hunter s thompson met johnny depp and i think saw his audition he was like it has to be him Mm -hmm. no one else can do it as good as he can um and then johnny depp just took it really seriously and like studied his life, read his work, you know, wore his clothes, used his cigarette holder, like all <laughs> these things. And yeah, just interesting, like, I guess, yeah, just like this really authentic feel that I think really adds to it inside this absolute mania, this like, this colour, this frantic, this chaotic landscape. Um yeah, I I like it. Did you like it overall? So oh. so
1: I'm I am uh, I'm split really. Right. So so right. so as a film, I can appreciate how this is. I, I I'm really I'm so torn on this film. Right. As okay. Well, yeah. The, the best way I can explain it is this: I can appreciate how this film is a really good representation of what of the source material. It's well mm. made. It's frantic. It's kinetic. It's colourful. Performances are really good. There's plenty in there that I like, but I'm not in a rush to watch it again.
2: Okay, well, I like because suppose... I
1: found it quite, I found it quite a tough watch. It, like if if okay. if I'm honest, but that doesn't mean it's a bad film. I don't think it's a bad film.
0: Wow! Nice. Yeah. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
1: Like I can appreciate what it is and I can appreciate the good bits of it. I found it quite a tough watch, but that's more to do with my own preferences when watching a film. Like I struggled more with this than I did with natural born killers for mm-hmm. example but as i say it doesn't mean it's not a well made good film and it certainly seems to capture the source material i mean that's what i wanted to get to was so you've read the book mm-hmm. so how good of, of representation of that is this
2: so i think it is in the sense of how how kind of chaotic and almost non linear it feels yeah. like yeah. when i was reading it 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 felt like it, it's not like a regular book with like a start, middle and end almost. Mm. It was kind of, it, like you felt the chaos in it. And even at some points I was like, oh, I don't really know where I'm at with this. Mm -hmm. But I, I, like, I feel like that's the point.
1: Well, that's, that's it. And that's, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there. I suppose that's exactly what I mean is that like, I'm not in a rush to watch it again. It might not necessarily be my kind of cup of tea, but I can still appreciate it that it's, that it's good. I can appreciate that what it is and what it achieves as a, as, as, as a film, and it definitely does do that. And there was stuff I did like. So I suppose that leads us on then to things that we perhaps didn't like. Now, again, I don't want you to think I didn't like the film. I'm mm-hmm. quite I'm quite split on it. It was, it was a difficult one for me to get across mm. what I mean because I know that it definitely does the right thing and I can really appreciate what I did like about it. There was just a few bits I was like, I'm not bothered on this or that doesn't appeal yeah. to me for you is is there much that you don't like
2: so no not really like there's not anything that i don't like and there is definitely not anything that i would change but there are some points that i can obviously identify as to why other people may not like it and why the critics yeah. didn't like it right so as i touched on like i under- do understand and somewhat agree with the critics that um there is a lack of character development and it feels a bit aimless but that doesn't ruin it for me and I think you just have to embrace it and absorb it for what it is, which is a cinematic wild ride, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, There's no heart to the film. Like I said, there's no character development. So our protagonists aren't great people and not completely likable. So it's hard to establish an emotional connection with them. Like even in Natural Born Killers, there were some tender human moments between Mickey and Mallory. Yeah. I don't think there was anything like that in this. Um, so not much really happens either. It is more about the cinematic technique and the style. So if you're looking for those killer narrative hooks, then they're they're not there. Um, And without the narration, the whole thing would fall apart. So it is relying heavily on the narration. Um, There was the odd occasion where I don't think I was 100% clear on what was going on as well. But Mm. I had a feeling that that's intentional due to the subject matter being explored, which is mostly, obviously, excessive drug use. Um, But that's kind of it for me. It's just kind of observations, I suppose, of and understandings of why people wouldn't like it, but mm, I mm. do like it, and those things don't bother me at all. Yeah. Um, what about you? Well, I think that's
1: the thing, isn't it? I think you have to understand what it is going into this. And so that raises two points. One, I suppose the point is, is if you're seeing this without the prior knowledge of what gonzo journalism is and what Hunter S. Thompson was about, would you get the most out of it? And I think my answer might be no. I can understand mm. that if you went into this and had no knowledge of that, you might go, what is this? Mm. So I get that. But if you know that beforehand, then you will I think you'll enjoy it. So did you, I mean, maybe when you first watched it, did you have that prior knowledge?
2: No, so I, I watched it before I read it. Yeah. So I watched it, read it, and then watched it again. Um, but I, I still really enjoyed yeah. it that first time. Like I quite... You know, like I said, Natural Born Killers is one of my favorite films, and I don't, I don't mind a bit of mania. I don't mm. mind a bit of chaos. Like, I, it's just something different, isn't it? It's like, oh yeah, here's a story with a beginning, middle, and end. The yeah. characters live happily ever after. Hooray! Like, I like something that's a bit darker. I like yeah, something yeah. that's going to yeah. make you maybe ask questions and stuff.
1: And I think it's down to your preference, isn't it? So I know, mm. I know. Before I've talked about things like I have to like my characters, and I like my films to have heart, and I sound like a bit of a soppy square, right? But that doesn't mean I. So I doesn't mean I can't enjoy a film if the characters aren't all lovely people. You know, there's mm-hmm. plenty of like films like that I love. You know Tarantino films, for example that the the characters are horrible, right or there's mm-hmm. other films where the characters are horrible. I've just mentioned one of my favorite sitcoms It's always sunny. the characters are horrible. Mm-hmm. They're I'm awful, yeah, I'm not going into this like God, if I don't like these drug taking lunatics then i'm I'm yeah. out <laughs> I, 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 th- I think i think I think my point is it's perhaps a bit too much of it, so I think that mm-hmm. it's a bit too mad at times. It's a bit too hard to follow at times. It's a bit more repetitive. So I think perhaps we need a little bit, not loads, just a little bit more exposition at the start so so that we can embrace the madness, like just a little bit, not not loads, just a couple more lines of dialogue because it's so frantic from start to finish that I think if you put something in there at the beginning it was like, look, this is what's going on, this is where we're going, then maybe you might be able to embrace the actions of the characters a little bit more. So I think that was a little bit difficult for me was then when it became... Their behavior, so their behaviour was a bit of an issue. Not an issue for me. That sounds like, again, sound like such a square. What I, what I mean is, they go over the line a little bit in terms of the behaviours of the of what they're doing. So like, there are bits where they're just on a manic drug binge, right? And they're sort of just, mm-hmm. all, the only thing they're doing harm to is themselves. But because it became so escalating and because it became so repetitive, I got to the point where I started to find them irritating.
2: Mm-hmm. So I started
1: to get to the stage where you're just, wreaking havoc and I, there was mm-hmm. there's an element where i'm like you know okay you're taking drugs you're going around vegas and you're causing havoc big whoop, why should i care yeah. do you know what i mean i couldn't really connect with the characters and then some of their actions like they just threaten a waitress mm-hmm. so that made me go well i don't like you mm-hmm. like you're a horrible person and they seem to also groom a young girl Christina Ricci's Mm -hmm. character, which again,
2: forgot was
1: in this. So yeah, so there's elements where it's like they they go too far. They go to a point where I go, I can't align myself with you as a character Mm because it's being chaotic is one thing, but threatening threatening a waitress and grooming a young girl is another thing. So I found it a little bit hard at times. I think to fully embrace the chaos, but that might just be my personal preference. As I say, I can completely understand. Why it's a well-made film and why it's a good representation of the source material. I just wouldn't be in a rush to to watch it again. And, do, mm-hmm. you know, do you know what I mean? So I do think it was a well-made film. I just had issues with, I suppose, the the general subject matter. It just, it just, just a bit of a just disconnects me with my character, with the characters a little bit. I couldn't quite connect with them. And I think if we'd have, if they, we'd have seen slightly less of some of their actions and slightly more of their background, maybe I would have been able to. But then. That is not what this film is. So if that so if that is what I want, I wouldn't watch this film, would I?
2: Yeah, Uh, and I think that's the thing, isn't it? It's very much about the here and now. Like you don't get any backstory about Duke. Like you don't see because again, and I know I keep coming back to it, but it is the best comparison as far as I'm concerned, natural born killers. You see Mickey and Mallory's past. Yes. You see what they've been through, and therefore you can understand how they've come to the conclusion of I just wanna kill loads of people, steal loads of shit and I don't give a fuck about anyone mm. but me sort of thing. You can see that journey because of what they've been through. Whereas with these two, you don't see that. You don't see their childhood. You don't see these traumatic things that like, why Why is someone doing that many drugs? Exactly. Why? Josh, honestly, exactly. what and it's
1: just and, and I suppose that's a really good point, which is it just, it just made me go, all you're doing is taking drugs and causing havoc. Why should I mm. give a shit? Mm. Like, I hope you get arrested do you know what I mean like like, (laughs) all you're doing is trashing hotel rooms and causing havoc if they were just doing that to a point I think the balance is a little bit off so I think I suppose that's my point having said that that's the whole point of Gonzo journalism that's the whole point of this film so is it a good representation of that yeah it's a fantastic representation of that it's a well made film I suppose it's just not my particular cup of tea that doesn't mean it's not good so that's why I was so torn on it do you know what I mean it is both good and not for me at the same time and that's fine So we will move on to talking about the critical reception after
0: mm-hmm.
1: Alice has taken us on a journey, a drug-filled yes. journey to Las Vegas. Oh,
2: maybe not quite as extreme. Not as, as extreme. Uh, to two other people who we may have met, uh, but it is but
1: the uh, triumphant nice. return of Alice down the rabbit hole. Alice,
2: indeed, it's been a while. It has it? It's been a while, but here we are. Take it away. So, how about we take a deep dive into the actor who played the server, who had the utter pleasure of dealing with Duke and Gonzo in the North Star Cafe, the place where you go if you get kicked out of Vegas. Imagine being that bad. I am, of course, talking about Ellen Barkin, whose breakthrough role in Hollywood was, funnily enough, in a film called Diner. Born in the Bronx in 1954 to immigrants from Siberia and the Russian-Polish border, her dream initially was to teach ancient history, but ended up diving into the world of acting, studying the craft for years before landing her first audition. She spread her talents across the world of film and theatre for which she has a Tony Award but not wanting to stop with acting she started a production company called Applehead Pictures with her brother George and her then husband multi-billionaire Ronald Perelman who was once upon a time regarded as the wealthiest man in America as for these days she is still working with her latest film Outlaws currently in post-production in which she stars alongside Piers Brosnan with the production design for said film being headed up by a man called Joe Billington who was the art director for Number 23 and the casting director Mary Vernu who was the casting director for Losers like drop, look what I did there. And that was Alice down the rabbit hole. Whoo!
1: That was certainly far down the rabbit hole. We ended up about... Meta, right? 50 is that the episodes the right ago there. With, with Meta, yeah, that's, yeah.
2: yeah. We, don't forget. we Ellen, don't forget the number 23. Ellen
1: Barkin. Classic. And the, other, the only other thing I know about her from this film, because I read it on the IMDb trivia, is that she's wearing a big fake bum.
2: Is she? Yeah, oh, I miss yeah, that bit. Yeah,
1: uh, in the diner scene. But anyway, thank you very thank much for you. taking us down the rabbit hole. So... Let's crack on with the critical reception then. How do I think it did? This is so difficult because I think this probably did, from what I can tell from what you've said, quite poorly with the critics, but I know it's got a cult following. So I think it's probably got quite Mm. a high audience score, quite a low Mm. critic score, which probably balances out. So let's say Mm. a solid six and a half. If okay. it balances out, what would I give it? I would probably give it it's so difficult as taking my opinion like it's so difficult <laughs> how is it as a film it's all right, how she is shout how it. how is it as a film and an interpretation of the original uh text it seems pretty spot on so in that sense, it's probably like an a I would probably mm-hmm. give it from like my own. Like reaction to the film, probably like cinematic
2: like a, enjoyment. Yeah, like a six.
1: Yeah. So if we okay, if we balance yeah. that out to a seven, let's say I give it a seven. Right Lay it you. on me. Okay.
2: So at the time of recording, it gets a seven point five mm-hmm. on IMDb. Uh, then over on Rotten Tomatoes, the audience give it eighty nine percent, but then the critics give it forty nine percent. Right. And it, when I saw that, I was genuinely surprised. Yeah, I'm quite surprised about that because of the cinematic brilliance of it, Mm. like because of the way it's shot, the effort, the lighting, all all this stuff that I just feel like goes completely ignored. And yeah, you know, the, the main criticism is, yeah, visually creative, but aimless, repetitive, and devoid of character development. I can't deny that those things are true, but it's not, it's not a story that requires character development. No. It isn't that sort of thing. Mm. And in in my opinion, and as I feel a lot of the time with the critics, is they've just kind of watched it the wrong way. Like they, not every film has to be the same and not every film has to follow every formula. Like, how can you tell me one minute? It's like, oh yeah, there's, it doesn't follow the formula and so I'm going to give it a bad rating. But then something like Vacation, they're like, oh, it follows the formula too closely and now I hate That's it. it, isn't so, it? What, do you, know what, what I mean? do
1: you want? How can it what be? What do you want? Formu- what do you how want? Can it be
2: f- Speed 2, 6%. What do you
1: want? <laughs> How can it be formulaically, non-formulaic?
2: Yeah. It's, it's, so, it's an oxymoron. As always, you know what I mean? Like, this is why we're here. We're here to stand up against the critics, to question yeah. them. And that is what we do. Um, but for me, if you're taking the critics' score, uh, that is underrated for me, categorically. Um, that audience score, probably a little bit high. Uh, I'm probably sitting with the IMDb score, so around that sort of 7 mm. 7 mark is is where I think it belongs. Um, but I'll come over to you for the deciding. Well, I suppose ultimately,
1: you know, it boils down to yeah, we average the score out. But is it was it is it critically underrated? What did I get? Forty nine percent.
2: Forty nine. Yeah, yeah for, and, for me, that's a st- to be fair. You know. It was a financial failure. Yeah. So I wonder if it's a little bit underseen. Perhaps
1: it was underseen upon release, but it's sort of garnered a a bit of a following, hasn't it, since since it came out. It's
2: definitely got cult status. Back to that
1: 49%. I mean, yeah, that... I mean, I wouldn't... Even if I went just solely on my emotional reactions to the film, I wouldn't say Mm. it was that bad. So, yeah, you're not going into this for, for heart and character development. That's not the point. The point is purely... Maniacal hedonism. Do you know what I mean? That's exactly. what it is there We're to be. A fan of. Yeah.
2: Go watch Bruce Almighty if, if <laughs> yeah. that's what you want. Is heart. What a double belt.
1: So yes, for me, I agree. It is underrated.
2: Oh, uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> so there we go. Another one in the underrated vault. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I think there might be quite a few surprised people out there that 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 is as lowly rated as as we found out that it is.
2: I. I was surprised. Yeah. Like I it was one of them where I was like, oh, there's no way. You know what? It was the same as with the beach. Like I was like, ah, oh, this probably isn't underrated. Oh, but I really want to do a Leonardo DiCaprio film, so let's have a look. And I was like, fucking hell, that's low. Yeah. And it's just 49 is just lower than I would have thought, basically. I feel like it just ignores all the hard work and all the good things about it. I'd
1: love to know the balance of people who went into this film knowing what the whole deal was versus those I like, who didn't. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly.
2: Oh, it's not Schindler's List, though, is yeah. it? Oh, it's not
1: Shawshank it
0: is, Redemption. It is,
1: <laughs> it is definitely not Schindler's List or the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> that is safe to say. Um, so we will be back next week with another film. Please do keep subscribed, keep listening. We very much appreciate it. Feel free to go and listen to old episodes. We like to think they're timeless. Who knows? We we try not to, <laughs> you know, we try not to 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 think about it, really. Um and if you do get a second, please do give us a rating and review wherever you get your podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, yes, the please. email address is films on that pod at gmail.com. We're on all the social medias if you search for Just Films and That on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok. We're there. Give us a follow. We always try and put content out. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's good. Um, it is ah, never, it's always good. It's always, it's good. always good. It's never drug-fueled, though. That is one <laughs> thing <laughs> we can say. That's uh, what we're going that with. That is what we're going <laughs> with. Uh, and we're also on the television, Alice, aren't we? We
2: are indeed. So every Friday evening from 6 pm, you can find me and Josh talking about our favourite underrated and underseen films on the local TV network. So if you live in Birmingham, Bristol, Leeds, Liverpool, or the northeast of England, you can find us on Channel 7 on Freeview. Or if you live in North Wales or South Wales, you can find us on Channel 8 on Freeview. Or if you've got Sky, you can find us on the new bumped up channel. Of 188 because they thought we were so good. They just loved Sky oh, yeah. just loved hearing me and Josh talking about underrated films. They did. And there we are, bumped up seven channels. Nice. <laughs> um, so that's every Friday night from 6 pm.
1: Yes, lots of ways to hear and see us. Please do get in touch and thank you as ever for listening. It really does mean a lot. We'll be back next week to talk about another film. Until then, Cheerio. Bye.
0: Bye.